Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. I'm going to be sharing something out of Malachi, sort of the end of chapter 2 and beginning of chapter 3, uh, about the refiner's fire. And um, fire, often in the Bible, represents a form of suffering or hardship, difficulty. And um, the reality is we all have to go through it. And um, suffering and hardship, it's interesting. If you watch people going through suffering and hardship, it makes some people better and other people worse. I don't know if you've noticed that. Um, And how we relate to God and how we respond to the hardship and the suffering, the fire, determines how we're going to come through it and how we're going to come out of it. And um, it's interesting, this uh, passage in Malachi chapter 2, it, it's, uh, it starts with um, the prophet Malachi saying, you have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by, by asking, where is the God of justice? And it's so easy for us, I'll read the rest in a moment, but it's so easy for us to want to do that. I mean, when we look around us and when we see the things that we prayed about this morning, the violence, the injustice, the corruption, all the things going wrong, it's easy to say, where is the God of justice? You know, as, as God all of a sudden now got to a place where, where, where he delights in people who are evil, um, doesn't he judge them anymore? Doesn't it upset him anymore? Um, and that was what was happening in, in, in the time when Malachi was writing about 400 years uh, before Christ. In Israel, there was a lot of injustice. There was a lot of violence. There was a lot going wrong in society. And people were looking around and saying, it seems like God's not doing anything about it. You know, does he all of a sudden now d- delight in evildoers? Where's the God of justice? And what Malachi wants to show us is just the foolishness of that question and, and the pride that underlies it, that, that even causes us to ask that question, um, and how wrong our reasoning is um, in asking that, that question. So, so I'm just going to read that again and, and read through those, those verses with you. Um, it says... You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem 
will be pleasing in, uh, to the Lord as in days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner or the foreigner and do not fear, the, fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. And um, I just want to discuss this, this passage. And it's a very pregnant, very powerful passage, under, just under three headings. The first is just the process of refining. The second is the purpose of refining. And the third is the promise of refining. So let's just uh, jump in um, immediately and, and, and discuss that. So um, we're all sort of aware that fire can be a really bad thing, right? <laughs> it can be very destructive. I mean, we saw it, when, when was it last year? When was that fire in, in George and yeah, Nisna and so on? I mean, oh, it was just so destructive. You know, just blowing through the region and just consuming everything in its path, um, killing people and animals, burning down houses and, and forests and so on. So, so we know fire can be very destructive, but, but fire can also be constructive. Um, you know, I've heard that the Feinbos, you know, like in the Cape, around Table Mountain and so on, it needs a fire every few years to sort of burn it down, to sort of cleanse the ground. It burns out all the intruder bushes. It sort of um, causes the seeds that are there to, 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 to um, just germinate again. It, it, it gives the, 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 the earth a chance to sort of rest and then receive rain, uh, rain and, and, and sunshine and so on. And, and actually, if there's sort of every couple of years there's a fire that burns down the vegetation, it actually grows better and, 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 and the, the environment flourishes. And in some ways, it's like that with us. Sometimes we need a bit of fire. Sometimes we like feinbos. <laughs> Sometimes we need a bit of fire just to burn out some old things and make room for some new things in our lives. And, and, and that's sort of the picture of the refiner's fire. It's, it's a fire, you know, the, the fire can, can be destructive. In other words, it can be a fire of judgment. It can, as the last verse that I read said, consume us. Or it can be a refiner's fire which instead of consuming us, actually purifies us. Now, just in, in the refining, I, I had a friend um, in Franschuk when I was uh, pastoring there between uh, 2005 and 2010, and he was a silversmith. Um, he was actually a, a recovering alcoholic, so we allowed him and his family to stay on the church premises. Um, we had a, a little house there, and he, he was staying in the house and uh, doing his silversmith work. So he'd, he'd sort of buy silver you know, in bulk, and then melt it down, uh, purify it, um, and then make all kinds of rings and jewelry with, with, this, with this silver. And I went to watch him once as he was doing this, because I'd, I'd heard stories about refining and how it works. Um, and, and I can tell you, while he was sitting there, you know, near to the, to the heat of the fire, um, it's, it's quite, kind of hot work. You must make that, that silver quite hot. You know, it must be red hot, and then it melts down. 
it's, it, it, it was quite interesting as I was watching it because he put this, this blob of silver, you know, in the, I don't know what you call the thing, crucible or whatever it is that, that you heat up and he holds it into the fire and initially there's no response. He holds it there for quite a while and it seems like nothing's happening. And then all of a sudden, the silver reaches a certain temperature and then very quickly it melts down. So it, it looks like there's, there's this resistance and then all of a sudden there's this melting. And then he holds it for a little while longer and then all of a sudden the impurities start floating to the surface and he gets this um, sort of blackish covering in, in certain you know, spots of, of the silver. And, and then he'd sort of remove that, purge that off um, and then he'd maybe throw it into a mold or what, whatever he's doing with the, with the silver to make what he wants to make. And um, uh, he's... You know, I'd heard this story. Um, so, so just firstly, the, the, the three steps, main steps in the, um, in the refining process is the melting process, the exposing process, melting when, you, when, when, when we soften, the silver is softened, the exposing process when the impurities surface, and then the purging process where the impurities are removed. And, and, and Malachi is using that as a metaphor of what God does to us, both individually and corporately. And um, I'd heard stories about refining, so I asked him, you know, just to sort of test it, you know, how, how do you know um, when, when, when the silver is, is pure? He says, it's, it's very simple, you know, when you can see your reflection in it. And it literally, when it melts, it, you know, it's got this, you've got this irregular blob of, of um, solid silver, and then it melts and it becomes smooth but it still has these black blotches on it. And then he removes that. And then, then it's like a mirror, a smooth mirror. And he says, when I can actually see my reflection in it, that's when I know it's, it's been purified. And, and that is the picture that Malachi holds up that God does with us. He's the refiner. He's the purifier. Now, when you, when you have silver, even when it's impure silver, even when it's silver that, that has lots of impurities in it, you can polish it and you can buff it and make it shine. And so often we do that in our lives. We polish our silver. We buff it. We shine it. And it looks all shiny and nice. But that's only on the surface. That's only on the surface. So often on the surface we can look good. We can make ourselves look good. On the outside we can make ourselves look good. But it's only when God melts us down that we really see what's going on. Now, let me just take you through that process. The first step is the melting process. And in order to get us to melt, God has to hold us in the fire. And who knows that's not pleasant. <laughs> it's not pleasant. It's not comfortable. It's hot. It burns. And sometimes it hurts. Fire in the Bible very often, like I said, represents hardship and suffering. And often God has to use the fire of hardship and suffering to melt us down. Because the reality in, is in our, in our natural state, our hearts are pretty hard. That is true. If you, if you have not discovered that about yourself, um, then you haven't been paying close attention. <laughs> but part of what God wants to show us in this refining process is exactly the hardness of our heart. That it takes fire, it takes hardship to sometimes melt our hearts down. And soften our hearts. And hardness of heart, even in the physical, we know that hardness of heart is the enemy of your heart. Right? 
You get a heart attack when the arteries in your heart calcify and harden. And they're no longer subtle and, 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 um, and stretchy. When they harden, that's when you get a heart attack. Now, it's the same spiritually. Our hearts spiritually often harden. And hardness of heart is the enemy of your heart. That it can actually destroy your heart. And so often our hearts are like, metaphorically like that silver. And God has to bring in some heat, some affliction, some suffering to melt down our hearts and soften them. I studied chemical engineering, so, uh, and I'm specifically mineral processing. I had a, a bursary with the mines and stuff. And, and I, I did a couple of um, subjects where we, where we um, looked at, at alloys and stuff. And, and you can take most metals and mix them with other metals and form an alloy. So you can mix silver with stuff like nickel or chrome or all kinds of stuff. And what happens is two things. Two things happen. Number one... That silver becomes harder. When you make that silver, silver in its natural state is relatively soft, you know, for a metal. Okay? Um, and the purity is the softer it is. But if you mix it with other metals and other kinds of impurities, it actually becomes harder. That's the one thing that happens. It becomes harder. In other words, impurities, in, in, in the light of this metaphor we're talking about, impurities actually increase the hardness of the metal. Likewise in our hearts. Impurities in our hearts actually increase the hardness of our hearts. The second thing that happens is the melting point of that alloy is higher than the pure metal. Sometimes quite significantly. So it takes more heat to melt that alloy, that's, that silver alloy that has been mixed with nickel or chrome or whatever else it's been mixed with, than it would take to melt pure silver. And so often it happens like that in our lives as well. Not only because of impurities in our hearts are our hearts harder, but it takes more heat to melt them. The more impure the alloy of your heart, if I can use that metaphor, the more heat God has to use to actually melt your heart. The more suffering you actually have to go through to soften your heart and to melt it down. That's the bad news. That it is uncomfortable, it is unpleasant to go through that melting process. The good news is, if we allow God to remove those impurities and make our hearts more pure, next time He has to melt our hearts, the melting, our melting point, our spiritual melting point has dropped. And it takes less suffering, less fire to melt our hard hearts. And our hearts become softer, more pliable, more vulnerable, but more pliable. So, you know, one of the dangers I've found when, because the reality is everyone goes through the fire. Everyone goes through the fire. And that's, that's the point Malachi is trying to make to these guys who are complaining. You know, where's the God of justice? Where's the justice of God? Why isn't he judging people? You know, God says through Malachi, don't worry, you know, the fire will come. It, I, I, I'm just giving you time to sort of figure out what you want the fire to do in your life. Do you want it to consume you or do you want it to refine you? And all of us go through fire. All of us go through that furnace. If you're a child of God, you're going to go through the fire as much as someone who's not a child of God. And it's uncomfortable. But, but here's one of the big challenges. There are, there are a few challenges, but one of the big challenges I just want to address here is when we go through the fire, so 
often, as children of God, we go through this suffering, we go through this affliction, we go through this hardship and we say, where's God? God has forsaken me. I'm suffering. Things are going wrong in my life. Things are going wrong in my relationship. Things are going wrong at work. We're struggling financially or whatever else it may be. People are persecuting me. Why are these things going wrong? God must have forsaken me. God must not be pleased with me. And that is such a big mistake. And I see us as Christians so often losing heart. And it's not the fire that makes you lose heart. It's not the hardship and the affliction that make you lose heart. It's the belief that God has forsaken you in the fire. Because it's, you can go through a fire and not lose heart. It's still, it's still as difficult. But at least if you know God is with me, then you can stand it. You can survive it. But I want you to notice what it says here in chapter 3. It says, for he's like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And I watched my friend Philip do this. What he would do is he'd sit very close to the fire. And he'd have this you know, metal bowl that he put the, the blob of silver in. And he'd have these big tongs with which he'd hold it. And he'd literally sit very close to the fire. He'd be sweating you know, with the heat of the fire. And he'd hold the silver in the fire. But he had to sit over it. He had to lean over it so that he could look at the silver while he was melting it and refining it. He had to constantly have his eye on it. And that is how God says he refines us. Far from God having forsaken us when we go through the, the fires that melt us, he's actually leaning in, sitting over us, watching us closely. Often he's so much closer to us than we realize. And if we can only realize that, then the suffering, no matter how painful it is, no matter how the fire burns and how uncomfortable it is, we'd be able to stand because we know God has his eye on me. He's sitting over me as a refiner. He's not sort of watching from a distance, afar off, and not caring. He's intimately involved in this process of melting me. He's watching it. He knows what it how it feels. And he's close. I mean, there's this old story about the, the guy who had a dream, and in his dream he was walking in the, uh, along the beach, um, and Jesus was walking with him next to him. And there were these two sets of footprints. Um, but then sometimes there was only like one set of footprints. And he was sort of watching his life and, and, and sort of seeing and saying to the Lord, but, but hang on, Lord, you know, there are two sets of footprints, but then exactly at the time when I'm really going through suffering and hardship, when I'm going through a difficult time, when I'm going through the fire, then there's only one set of footprints. Why, when I needed you most, did you forsake me? Why, when I needed you most, did you, did you leave me? Why weren't you there? And then God, of course, answers, well, you see those places where there was only one set of footprints? If you look carefully, you'll see the, the footprints are deeper because that is where, when I, where I was carrying you during those hard times. It's exactly in the hard times when God is closer to us. I was reading um, the, the famous um, Psalm 23, The Lord is My Shepherd, um, a while back. And I noticed something. It talks about God in the first few verses in the third person. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, etc. So the he is like third person, referring to God in the third person. But then all of a sudden when he starts talking about, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for, not he is with me. You are with me. 
your rod and your staff that comfort me. No longer speaking of God in the third person, but now, exactly at the time when you go through the valley of the shadow of death, David says you start addressing God in the second person, you, directly. Not talking about God, but talking to God directly. Because there, in our suffering, God always makes sure that he's closer to us. And always closer than we realize. So I just want to encourage you, when you're going through the fire, when you're being melted by the fire, if you're a child of God, never doubt that God is with you. God is sitting over you as a refiner. He's very close to you. He's feeling the heat. The heat of that refining fire is metaphorically making him sweat. That is how close he is to it. And he's watching us. He will not leave us and he will not forsake us. Um, so the melting process, which is uncomfortable but necessary. Then, like I said, you know, the, the silversmith holds the, the, um, the silver over the, the fire for a little bit longer. And then at some stage, the impurity starts to surface. And as comf- uncomfortable as the melting process is, <laughs> I think this exposing of the impurity is even more uncomfortable. And I can say from experience, and and not only my own experience, but also the experience of people I counsel, one of the things that we like least is to see those impurities surface in our lives. And our natural knee-jerk reaction is to start pointing fingers at others and blaming them. No, Lord, it's it's, it's my wife. I, I, I respond with such a mean attitude because my wife is mean to me and then I'm mean back. She, she, she makes me mean. <laughs> no. <laughs> the fire, whatever fire it is, the fire does not put the impurities in the silver. The fire only exposes the impurities that are already there. Right? Uh, that was a good place to say amen now. <laughs> you see, my marriage does not so much confront me with my wife and with her sins as it confronts me with myself and my sins. Right? So that relational conflict and affliction that is there, it only exposes what is there. It doesn't put anything in you. It's it's like the old analogy of the lemon. You know, when you squeeze a lemon, you know, and, and affliction, hardship, suffering is often pressure that is put on you. You know, you're being squeezed. When you squeeze a lemon, what comes out? Lemon juice. Why? Because that's what's inside. (laughs) Pressure doesn't put anything in you. It only forces out what's already in you. And so often we've polished ourselves and buffed ourselves and we're all shiny. And then God puts us in the fire and we melt. And what is really under the surface, under that shiny surface, which we've so meticulously shined to look good to the outside and to people on the outside. When that is exposed, we're like, whoa, where did that come from? (laughs) That's not me. No, actually it is. Actually it is. That is exactly me. That is exactly what I've been hiding. That that's me. That's what's in my heart. That's what's really in my character. That's what's underneath the surface. That's what I don't want to see. That's what I want to justify when it comes out and blame other people for. But that's actually what's really inside. Anyone that that's happened to recently? Did you enjoy it? I didn't enjoy it either. (laughs) But that's such a crucial moment. That's such a crucial moment when that, that those impurities, those sins, those character flaws or whatever they are, are exposed in that time of pressure. What am I going to do? How am I going to respond? 
am I going to justify it and play the blame game and blame others like Adam and Eve did? No, Adam said, no, it's Lord, this wife, this woman you gave me. She made me eat some fruit. <laughs> Not my wife. <laughs> Your imperfect gift to me. You know, that's the problem. <laughs> and Eve, of course, said, no, it's a snake. He deceived me. No, 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 no. We can't point fingers. At that stage, if you, if you want the... Ref- you see, here's the thing. You can go through all that melting, experience that exposing, justify yourself, blame others, and not allow God to remove the impurities. And they'll stay there, and you'll have to go through the ex- exactly the same process again. So we choose how many times we want to be refined for the same thing. Better to deal with it when God surfaces it. Because here's the thing, when God surfaces it, He surfaces it for a reason. So that we can see it and so that He can remove it. So that He can remove it. And um, that's when we must say, Lord, I humble myself. You see, it's the same pride that would point the finger at God and say, Where's the God of justice? Lord, you not being fair. You being lenient on evil people. It seems like you delight in them. It's that pride that does not see that the evil is in me as well. And part of the melting and the exposing is to humble ourselves and see, but the evil is not just out there. It's in here. And the reason why the God of justice stays his hand is if he had to come in with destruction and judgment, I would suffer too. I would be on the receiving end of it too. So God in his mercy withholds it so that we can repent, so they can melt us and show us what's wrong. And then we can repent and we humble ourselves. And instead of pointing the finger at him and at other people, look at ourselves. See that self-centeredness, that, that pride. Repent of it and say, Lord, remove this impurity, these impurities from me. Um, you know, I've shared this a little bit before, but um, at the beginning of this year, um, you know, for a couple of years, you know, things, there were some things, you know, that I saw in, in our movement that, that were wrong. But I, I avoided them because that's what I do. You know, I, I avoid conflict. <laughs> I'm like the tortoise, you know, I withdraw into my shell. <laughs> you can ask my wife. She, it, frustrates her it infuriates her you know <laughs> you know whenever there's conflict i like do the tortoise thing you know that's my natural knee-jerk reaction um but at the beginning of the year god just brought me to a place where, where i started realizing you know i'm i'm avoiding the conflict i'm i'm being very gracious and forgiving but the reason i'm being gracious and forgiving is because i'm selfish hey now oof i thought i was being christ-like no no you're being selfish in it you're avoiding conflict because you don't like conflict. You're avoiding things you should be confronting because you feel uncomfortable with the conflict. You don't like the conflict. So it's out of selfish motives. And I had to repent of that. You know, when, when this, this fire came, you know, I had to sort of say, okay, I'm going to have to man up. I'm going to have to face this thing, even though it's uncomfortable to me. I'm going to have to admit my selfishness and I'm going to have to try and confront. But then even in the conflict, I didn't always speak the truth in love. 
so more impurities were, were exposed, you know. Sometimes I was harsh. Sometimes I confronted with the wrong spirit. Sometimes I confronted. Not only did I avoid confrontation out of selfishness, but sometimes I confronted out of selfishness. I mean, there's just more impurities coming up. But the nice thing is, um, and, you know, I've seen this for us corporately, you know, because God used this corporate fire, you know, in us as, 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 as the shofar movement, in all of us as leaders, to expose those impurities. And when we responded in humility and received correction from one another, which you need to humble yourself to do, it's amazing what God did. It's amazing what God did. God changed us, making us more humble and making us more pure. And, you know, if I had to take a snapshot of last year this time, and, I mean, we just had our convergence, and then last week I was down for a national council meeting with the top leadership. It's chalk and cheese. The level of humility that God has brought us to. I mean, obviously there's still a long way to go, but it's a lot better than what it was. We're actually listening to one another a lot more than we used to do before. So often we would just be quick to dismiss one another. If anyone disagreed with you, you just dismiss them. But now God has humbled us. He's exposed that pride in our hearts that makes us not listen to one another. He's caused us to repent of it. And it's so much better. <laughs> you know, and it's the same thing in our families. If I treat myself as the main problem in my family, then my family gets better because I humble myself. I cannot change my wife. I cannot change my children. God can change them. But I can, I can allow God to change me. I can decide how I respond to the refining, the exposing of, of the impurities. And then, like I said, that, that's the process of refining. The purpose of the refining is this. The silversmith, when he looks down into the silver, he wants to see his image reflected in the silver, like a mirror. And then he knows the silver has been purified, refined. And God sits over us as a refiner. Specifically, if you look at that, it talks about, I'll send my messenger and he'll prepare the way for me. And we know the messenger is John the Baptist. And the me there, it's the Lord speaking, the Lord Almighty, Yahweh. But we know that it's Jesus. John the Baptist prepared Jesus' way. And Jesus sits as the refiner until he sees his image, the image of Christ in us. His image inside of us. And then it also goes on and it talks about offerings, you know, bringing an offering in righteousness. So God wants us to reflect his character. He wants to surface the impurities, remove them, until we more and more progressively reflect his image, who he is, his character, his patience, his humility, his love. But out of that, he wants us to bring offerings in righteousness. So often what we do, what, I mean, we don't always realize this, but the services we bring to God as an offering, the, the gifts we bring to God as an offering, all of that is intimately connected to who we are. It was like um, um, Charles was saying this morning, you know, it's, it's how you give. It's not so much what you give, it's how you give, with what heart, with what motive you give that really counts. I mean, look at Cain and Abel as an example. Abel brought... Um, Lambs and, 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 and firstlings of, of, of the flock. Cain brought vegetables, you know, all kinds of grain or whatever. Now, later on in Leviticus, the Israelites are commanded to make both animal sacrifices and vegetable sacrifices, grain offerings and all that kind of stuff. So both offerings are acceptable. So it's not like animal sacrifices are somehow inherently better than grain sacrifices. God 
accepts both. The difference was not in the sacrifice they brought, but with what heart they brought it. You see, Abel brought his sacrifice with the right heart, and that's why it was accepted. Cain brought his with the wrong heart, and that's why it was not accepted. And what we've got to realize is that whatever we bring to the Lord is dependent on our heart. Whatever service we offer the Lord, whether it's acceptable or not, depends on with what heart we offer it. Whatever gift we bring to the Lord, whether it's acceptable or not, is dependent on our heart, not so much the, what the offering is. And that's why God wants to purify our hearts, make our hearts like His, make our character like His, so that we can actually bring sacrifices like, like it says there that are acceptable to Him, that are acceptable, that are pleasing to Him. And it really does please God. Um, now, let me move on. I'm, I see I'm running out of time. So let me move on to the promise of, of refining. Now, here's, here's the thing that I want you to see. Not everyone who experiences the fire experiences the fire as refining. Some do experience it as judgment. Talks there, I'll come in judgment. I'll be a swift witness against them. It says in the last verse, um, I, the Lord your God, am not changed. Therefore you, O um, children of Israel, are not consumed. Some are actually consumed by the fire of judgment. So in other words, some experience the fire as judgment. Others experience it as refining. And the thing that Malachi wants to, to show us is some people experience the fire as destructive. Judgment, it destroys them. Others experience it as constructive. It's refining. It, it actually makes them better. And what Malachi wants us to see is that we shouldn't say, okay, where's the God of justice? You know, We see all this evil around us. Why doesn't God come and judge it? Because he wants us to recognize the evil inside of us. He wants us to see that we too deserve the fire of judgment. That's what we ought to receive from God. All of us. And he says, I'll be a swift witness against you. In, in, in verse 5, let me just read that. He says, then I will draw near for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress hired workers and, and uh, the widows and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside uh, sojourners because they do not fear me. And what he's saying, I mean, he mentions sorcery. You know, and, and it's interesting to me, some of those sins, some people and cultures will say, no, that's okay. But others, other sins in those lists are not okay. You know, so some people will look at adultery and, and say, ah, that's not so bad, you know, everyone's doing it. Or lying, you know, being a false witness, lying. Ah, it's, you know, a white lie, you know, it's not so bad. Oh, but sorcery, you know, that's bad. Other people will, no, no, it's fine to go to the Shangoma, but, but to commit adultery, you know, that's, that's bad. So different cultures will... But God says all of them are wrong. All of them, I'm going to come in judgment over those things. I'm going to be the witness. I'm going to be the judge. And I'm going to be the executioner of these things. I'm, the God of justice is delaying judgment. But just because he's delaying judgment doesn't mean he's not going to bring judgment. But then, I mean, look at those things. I mean, sorcery, magic. Uh, th there are so many Christians who read tarot cards or people who think they're Christians. Uh, who do read the horoscope and try and sort of predict their future through that, that's a form of sorcery. 
There are so many Christians who say, oh, yeah, adultery is bad. But they forget that Jesus said, if you just look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Is there anyone here who's not done that? Being a false witness. Oh, yes, that's bad. You know, um, lying and, and using lying to steal and be corrupt and all that kind of stuff. No, it's bad, you know. And, and the, the politicians, you know, are doing that. They're evil. But do I do that? Do I lie? Do I? You know, I want to go so far as to say, us as fallen human beings, just to be able to live with ourselves, we often have to lie to ourselves, never mind other people. We have to justify ourselves. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to hurt someone's feelings, you know, so I'm going to say, oh, you know, I'm not going to go in the camp with you because, um, you know, I, uh, uh, my, my family's coming to visit me. Meanwhile, I know very well no family's coming to visit me. I just don't, I just don't want to, I'm tired. I want to rest this weekend, you know. The diplomatic lie. It's still a lie, right? <laughs> oh, but I, I, I'm, I'm doing it with, with good intentions. I don't want to hurt their feelings. Yes, it's still a lie. See, we can, we can so easily justify ourselves. But then look at what it says. It says, those who oppress wage earners by not paying their wages on time. The widows and orphans by neglecting them. How many of us are taking care of the widows and the orphans? The marginalized, the oppressed, the exploited. We have almost 40% unemployment rate in South Africa. That is shocking. I live in a nice house, but there's a massive part of our population that live in little shacks. And then I have the gall to complain that my three-bedroom house that I'm renting only has one bathroom, and that's very inconvenient. While there are people sitting in little shacks who don't even have a bathroom in the house. You know, God has a problem with that. God has a problem with me being so used to my comfort that I don't notice the discomfort and the, the pain and the suffering of others. And God mentions that in the same list as sorcery and adultery. What I'm trying to show you is the evil is not out there only. It's also in here. I'm stuck with this evil inside. And that's what the fire must expose. And I, I deserve the fire. Because of that, I deserve the fire as judgment. And so do all of us. So why don't we experience the fire as judgment? And here comes the promise of the refining. Firstly, it says, I'll send my messenger to prepare the way for me. And then he talks about another, it's very interesting, the word Malachi, the name Malachi literally means messenger. Malachi is, is the Hebrew word for messenger. <laughs> so Malachi, the prophetic messenger, says God's going to send a messenger to prepare the way for him as the messenger of the covenant to come and bring his message of, of refining and salvation. And it's interesting, it says the messenger of a covenant, the new covenant, will suddenly appear in his temple. What's the temple? The temple is the place of sacrifice. That's the main thing that happened in the temple. That's the main form of worship uh, that happened in the, in, the, in the Jewish temple was sacrifice. But it says he will appear not suddenly in the temple, 
It specifically says he will appear in his temple. What does that refer to? Remember when Jesus came in John chapter 2? He said, in three days I will destroy this temple and build it up again. And they said, oh, you know, this temple took so many years to build. Are you going to do it, you know, destroy it and then build it in three days? And it says they didn't realize that he was speaking of the temple of his body. You see, when it says the messenger of the covenant, who of course is Jesus, came suddenly to his temple, he's talking about the incarnation. What is his temple? It's the place where he was going to make his sacrifice. And another interesting thing is, it talks about he will purify the Levites and Judah and Jerusalem. And it says, and they will bring, all the translations I checked say, offerings in righteousness. Offerings, plural, that are pleasing and acceptable to the Lord. But I went and checked the Hebrew. Both times, the word offering is in the singular, not in the plural. I'm, I'm not, I, I can understand in one sense why the translations translated in plural, because now you have Levites, plural, bringing a singular offering. You have Judah and Jerusalem, plural, bringing a singular offering. That is acceptable. But isn't maybe the messenger of the covenant who came to his temple, his body, isn't that one singular offering referring to his offering? which is the one offering in righteousness, the one ultimate offering that is acceptable to Yahweh. The offering during which he experienced the fire as judgment, consuming, condemnation, so that only the fire of refining was left for us. The judgment we should have received, the fire of judgment we should have received, he received. He took it upon himself, even though he didn't deserve it. So that only, so the fire that was left, he could use. He who himself had gone through the fire of judgment could sit over as a refiner over us and purify us like silver. He who's gone through the fire and, and understands firsthand the pain of it, the discomfort of it, could use that same fire to instead of destroying us, forming us to be like him, to reflect his image, like silver that has been purified. You see, day after tomorrow, 31st of October 2017, is going to be the 500 years anniversary of the Reformation. On the 31st of October 1517, Martin Luther hammered the 95 Theses to the church door in Wittenberg. And two of the big revelations that Martin Luther had, which corrected deceptions that existed in the, middle, the, the Roman Catholic Church of the Middle Ages, was, number one, everyone's guilty before God. You see, there are sort of three groups in a sense here. The one group is pointing to the other group. There's a religious group is pointing to, to the rebellious group and saying, sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, oppressors. Look at what they're doing, and God, you're doing nothing. So the religious group is pointing at the rebellious group, and then the God is saying, no, but even you, the religious group, you know, you're bringing your sacrifices, you're doing your penance, you're doing all your religious rituals, and you're thinking that what you do makes you innocent before God, but 
you have exactly the same thing in your heart as that the rebellious people have in their heart. They're just a lot more explicit about it. You're just shining yourself, buffing yourself so that you shine a bit more on the outside. But on the inside, you're the same. But then there's another group, the righteous group, who know that they're guilty. And the Reformation brought that revelation that everyone is guilty before God, number one. And, there's, and, and number two, there's no sacrifice that you or I can bring to make ourselves righteous. God has to make us righteous. If we want righteousness, if we want to be made right with God, if we want to be in right standing with God, if we want to be acceptable to God and bring offerings that, and gifts that are acceptable to God, then we need a righteousness that comes from outside of ourselves, from God himself. And it only and, and, and here's the thing, um, where, where religion says um, the sinners are out, the holy people are in. The gospel says the proud are out and the humble are in. And whether it's the proud rebellious or the proud religious, they're out because they're proud. But the humble who can say, Lord, I see those impurities. I see that sin. I see those character flaws. I don't like it. But Lord, I admit it's there. And I want you to deal with it. And I want you to make me acceptable. Not through offerings that I bring to you, but an offering that you actually bring to me. Make me right with you. Purify me. See, not everyone who experiences the fire experiences it as refining. The rebellious and the religious, the proud, experience it as consuming. It's only the righteous who have humbled themselves and received what God has done for them that experience it as refining. And God wants us to be those people. And as we celebrate, I mean, I've heard someone say, every 500 years, the church need, needs a reformation. Well, I think we're due a reformation. I think we as the church, globally, we're due a reformation. And I, and I sense the beginnings of it, if I have to be honest. I sense that God's busy doing something special. But what He wants us to do is understand this, the gospel. That the fire that should have consumed me, he took upon himself. So that the fire that is left can now purify me, refine me, and make me like him. Let us humble ourselves. I just want you to close your eyes. As you're sitting there, just close your eyes. I know at some stage, and for most of you quite recently probably, You've been through the fire and God, you've been melted and God has surfaced impurities. I just want you to pray about those impurities and I want you to respond and say, Lord, I want to respond in humility. I want to bring those impurities and I want to admit that they're my fault. They're my impurities. They're my sins. They're my character flaws. And I want to repent of them. And try and be as specific as you can. And don't nudge your, your husband or your wife. <laughs> Focus on yourself. <laughs> yes, Father God, we repent, Lord God, of resisting your melting, hardening ourselves. And then even when you do melt us, Lord, to resisting the exposing that you do of our hearts, Lord. You expose the impurities. You expose pride. You expose self-centeredness, selfishness, self-absorption even, Lord. And, and we try and justify it. We try and defend it. 
get all defensive when people point out to us where we have made mistakes, where we've been selfish or where we've sinned against them. Try and change the subject. Lord, we repent of that now in Jesus' name and say, Lord, we see those impurities. Please remove them. Thank you for taking us to the fire. Thank you for melting our hard hearts. Thank you for exposing our sins. Thank you for removing the dross and cleansing us. And thank you for being with us every step of the way, for never leaving us, nor forsaking us. Thank you that we can feel safe in your hands. We pray, Lord, that as the refiner's fire, Lord, you'll have your way in our hearts and that you'll work that humility and selflessness that so beautifully reflects your character and image in us individually and corporately. Thanks for listening to this message from Shafa Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.jarberg.